Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adadana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Now I don't know why, what our words really are. It's okay. We'll make them up. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying, but it's right. <laughs> We're doing something a little bit different this week on the Africana podcast. You're about to hear excerpts from Rusty's written by Winuri Kahio and Neri Akarafor. Have a listen. I grew up here in Nairobi on Dege Road. So I've known the Rusty down the road since I was like five years old, when I started walking to school. Its official name was Rusty CV3 in Dege Road, but people call it Rusty in Dege for short. My school was just past that Rusty, easily within range, so my mother never worried about me getting hit by a car, kidnapped, or anything. Rusty Ndege liked me from day one. The first time we met officially was my first day of school, and I was in a group of other five-year-olds, excitedly clutching my school bag as we arrived at the intersection. We waited as Rusty Ndege held up its long, corroded arm, which creaked as it lifted. It carried a square light in its right hand, and it flashed red. Do not walk, children, it said in its stiff male voice as it played Captain Banana's hit Kapuka dub song, which I loved so much. The music flooded the area with its lively tune, yet Rusty's voice easily carried over it. Please wait, it said. After two minutes, Rusty Ndege allowed us to cross the busy intersection. As we passed its platform, I shimmied my shoulders to the music and happily told it. Thank you for playing my favorite song. I love it. That's the first time I saw Rusty Ndege's eyes do that brief flash of pink it rarely did for anyone. You're welcome, it said. It paused as it added, Magana. I beamed, feeling special because it had spoken my name. Two of the girls in front of me gasped, turned round as they walked. I slowed down a bit, looking up at Rusty Ndege. My baba was there when the first Rusty was unveiled, I told it. We weren't so rusty back then, it said. I know, I said. Baba said the first one was shiny silver like a mirror, but you're smarter now. I grinned up at it. Move along, it said. I giggled, nodded, and off I went on my first day of school. I remember all the kids looking at me like it was such a big deal, as if Rusty Ndege couldn't go into any of our mobile phones, pluck our personal information right off them. But then we were only five years old. Rusting dead calling my name in that moment on the first day I felt any sort of independence was a big deal to me. From that day on, Rusting Dege and I seemed to have a special bond. Me being one of the few people who actually spoke to it like a person. For most, machines were just machines. Fast forward two decades and you reach that pivotal moment a couple years ago when the first backlash bracelet appeared on eBay and sold for thousands of US dollars to one of the hottest American rappers. That started a craze that would change everything. Backlash bracelets were made of copper, silver, and gold illegally mined from the motherboards of Rusty's. The bracelets were the first robot cop killer jewelry, then simply cop killer jewelry. I hear that name came from some old American heavy metal or rap group known for calling on Americans to kill police. It was the rapper who renamed them Backlash Bracelets because the name Cop Killer Jewelry was too radical for his persona. Better to tone it down, but keep the political flavor. Backlash Bracelets was more nuanced and poetic. 
Whatever the name, it was deeper than that. Backlash bracelets were actually products of the Kaziburi underground anti-robot revolution that started in Kenya, Egypt, Nigeria, and South Africa about nine years ago. After the rise of self-driving cars, trucks, and matatus, there was an incredible shrinkage of well-paying jobs and then increased unemployment across Africa. Frustrated students, jobless graduates, and their lesser educated but equally jobless friends mobilized on campuses and linked up on an international level online. They went on to create the anti-AI union called Kaziburi, whose purpose was to disrupt and destroy Africans' rising dependence on AI systems, from robot cops to banking systems to the planes of local airlines to military and delivery drones to the vast network of smart homes. Kazi Bure gained real popularity by conducting demonstrations, focused riots, and shooting down delivery drones. This caught the media's attention, especially when they were successfully able to hack into Niger, the AI system of Nigerians' drone deliveries, and convince it that everywhere a drone landed, there was someone there to steal the package it was delivering. It was as if they had injected Niger with a digital paranoia. For three days, the skies above the residents of Lagos and Abuja were peppered with thousands of hovering package-delivering drones. And when the drone ran out of power, they simply fell from the sky, many landing directly on people and crashing into moving vehicles. But for some reason, maybe arrogant, Kazibure weren't prepared for the authorities to use technology to fight back. Johannesburg, Nairobi, and Lagos government officials all banded together to simultaneously convince their local rusties to do a special kind of delicate spying to locate Kaziburi members and alert the police of their plans before they happened. Unlike other security AI, Rusties did not only have access to the virtual, they were right there out in the world in the streets with the people and able to access anyone at any time. Kaziburi was hurt, but they had another trick up their sleeve. They attacked Rusties back by using a mobile phone tweak that caused the phone's battery to melt down and emits a tiny EMP that knocked Rusty's offline for about three minutes. Within those three minutes, they opened up the Rusty and mined the metals from the motherboards, connectors, and pins. Lastly, they pried off the individual Rusty's iron tag of authenticity fused to the inside of its head case. It's one thing to disable, cripple, or destroy those you're battling. It's another to disembowel them, then make beautiful jewelry with their harvested innards and parade them in front of them. I often wondered whose idea it was to use Rusty ID tag as the bracelet's main charm. It was brilliantly evil. They'd take just enough to slow down the Rusty until it could be repaired. No Rusty was ever done long enough, maybe a couple of hours at most. Nairobi had one dedicated city council team of electricians and engineers ready to be deployed at any moment. That's when the American rapper renamed the bracelet from Cop Killer to Backlash. He then toted it around like the decapitated head of his enemy, flashing it in his music videos as he leered into the camera to make sure it was seen wherever he made an appearance. He might have changed the name, but Americans, especially black Americans, maintained the backlash bracelet as a symbol of solidarity against police brutality. Some even continue calling them cop killer bracelets. Backlash bracelets started popping up all over Africa, here they became badges of wealth, fashion, and rebellion. You could be arrested for wearing them, but only if the bracelet was from a rusty in the country you were in. 
I remember walking past Rusty Degger, exchanging my usual pleasantries with it, and wondering how it and the others must have felt about Backlash bracelets. Did Rusties understand the symbolism? Did they care? Did they identify the parts in the bracelets as body parts? Did they know which Rusty each bracelet came from, even if it was from a different country? I didn't think it was fair. I really hoped they would catch the vandals and put a stop to the Kazi Buri lot that was such a nuisance. Things were so much better with robo-traffic cops, even my parents said so. In their day, life was much more chaotic and unsafe. Now, with robo-traffic cops everywhere, everything worked smoothly. But Kazi Bure had to take things too far. Maybe it's part of the human DNA. We will always follow the path as far as it goes. And the members of Kazi Bure were too arrogant to consider wildcards. Actually, let me say that again. Kazi Bure did not consider wildcards. You've just heard Winuri Kahio reading chapters two and three of Rusty's and can find her on Twitter at, at Winuri, which is W-A-N-U-R-I, and her co-writer, Nettie Akarafor, at Nettie. That's N-N-E-D-I. The story is originally published in its entirety on clarksworld.com. This has been a special episode of the Africana Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Africana and on Facebook at Africana Podcast. Thanks for listening.